0: Gracious God, you promise that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You'll notice the first gospel reading for this morning, that was on page 4 of your bulletin, it's from John 12, it's verses 12 through 19, it immediately precedes the gospel reading on page 10, so we pick up on page 10 where we left off on page 4, and so a a little bit of background now uh, regarding the gospel lesson on page 10. Lazarus has been raised from the dead and this has created a lot of excitement among the people. Uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and there's, again, a lot of excitement. You'll notice on page four, the last sentence, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing Look, the world has gone after him. He's creating a lot of attention. Now on page 10, the very next verse, verse 20, we read, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, Bear in mind, this is the festival of the Passover, and people from all over the world are coming to Jerusalem. That's why the chief priest complained, Look, the world has gone out after him. So they're interested in Jesus. Jesus' miracles, especially raising Lazarus, has created quite a stir. It's getting him some attention. Not necessarily faith, but attention. Now contrast that with verse 37. Well, verse 36b. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, meaning the Judeans, okay, the the hometown folks to whom he's speaking. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs, so many miracles, they still did not believe in him. So people from around the world are showing some interest, but his own people are not. By and large, they're not. And and this reflects what John himself had written in chapter one of his gospel. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And so in the gospel lesson for today on page 10, John the apostle is dealing with this question, why so few? Why do so few of God's people believe in Jesus? John's doing the math. And even though there are some who do believe, there are many more who don't. So why is that? What's going on? Roman number 1 on page 11. The failure of the signs. Now, Signs are not just miracles. You know, Moses did miracles. Okay? And and the purpose of a miracle is to authenticate the message. Right? So God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and Moses is able to perform some pretty supernatural wonders, and it is to lend credence or believability to the message that Moses is to proclaim. So that Pharaoh and especially Israel would know this man was sent by God. That's the purpose of a miracle. Now, a sign is a miracle, but it's also much more. A sign points to something else, it points to something else. Letter A signs in John's gospel reveal Jesus' oneness with the Father. His oneness with the Father, that's key. Remember, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, to believe in me is to believe in the one who sent me, that is, the Father. Jesus said, the works I do are not my own, they are the works of the Father. And the words I speak are not my own, they are the words of the Father. So, there, John's point is this. There's no daylight whatsoever between Jesus and the Father. To see one is to see the other. To have one is to have both. That is faith in Jesus. To believe in his oneness with the Father. And so this is what it means to believe in Jesus. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. He's one with the Father. Now, A1. Some believe, but remain silent. You may remember Nicodemus. In John 3, he came by night to speak with Jesus so he would not be noticed. And he said, We know you're sent by God. Nobody can do the signs you do except God were with him. So he knew beyond any doubt Jesus had been sent by God. Now that's that's still not faith. That's why Jesus said you must be born again in response. He still doesn't see the oneness with the Father. Joseph of Arimathea was the same way. We read in John 19, now he um, claimed the body of Jesus and gave uh, the Lord a proper burial, but he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews, we read. I remember uh, Reverend Chad Foster, uh, he's no longer at St. Peter's, unfortunately, but he was, is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi in addition to being an LCMS minister. And he said in a, a, in a circuit meeting once, I don't remember the exact percentage, it was not a majority of Orthodox rabbis certainly, but it was a large minority, either a, a, a quarter or a third, he said of Orthodox Jewish rabbis believe in Jesus. But they will not state that publicly because of the repercussions and, and I remember hearing that and, and I thought to myself yeah but Jesus said if you do not confess me before men neither will I confess you before my father in heaven you know and so that's not where you want to be I mean I, we're thankful they have faith and, and, and I'm not I really don't want to stand in judgment of any of them I'm, if they have some faith in Jesus that's better than no faith at all But John the Apostle is pretty hard on them. If you take a look on verse 42, at the bottom of the page, bottom of page 10, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. You see, they had their own cancel culture back then as well. A cancel culture is public shaming, public rejection of someone because you don't line up with the orthodox view of how things ought to be. We're very much aware of cancel culture. We don't want to be canceled. And yet, what is the message that we're called to proclaim? It is the love of God for all people in Christ. That's a wonderful message. Why would we want to hide that? Why would anyone object to that? But some do. you have to be rejected for anything what better reason to be rejected by others but for the sake of proclaiming the love of God for all humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and notice verse 43 and this is where John really sharpens the knife and sticks it in for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God Now, that's our problem, too, is it not? I mean, do we ever outgrow peer pressure? (laughs) Our, Our peers just grow up like we do, you know. We still fear their condemnation. Peter fell prey to peer pressure, right? We do as well. Now, thank God for those times when our faith shines forth and we speak up for Christ as we should. Thank God for those times But too often we do not do that. Too often we don't. Too often we we silence ourselves rather than bear witness to Jesus. And my friends, that's why salvation has got to be by grace. It must be by grace if we're going to be saved at all. Because if it if our salvation depended on even in the least on our faithfulness, we'd flunk the test. But God is faithful. God is forgiving. And and that's really, ultimately, the point of the gospel reading for today. And by the way, when it comes to bearing witness for Jesus, the most important hearers, the most important receivers of our witness are our children, or our spouse, our parents, those closest to us. We fear their rejection most of all. And yet, every every child needs a mother or father who loves Jesus more than the child. Every spouse, every husband or wife, needs a spouse who loves Jesus more than the spouse. Every, every parent needs a child who loves Jesus more than the parent. Jesus said, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The the best way to love those closest to us is to remind them and ourselves that Christ comes first. Letter B. Prior to Jesus' death, that is, during his ministry of signs, John 1-12 through 12 is all about the signs of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, who, which point to his oneness with the Father. But prior to his death, during that ministry of signs, unbelief prevailed. Israel resists Jesus, Israel rejects Jesus, as, by the way, they did the prophets before him. And point number one, God responds to unbelief with more unbelief. He responds with more unbelief. And this is a judicial blinding and hardening that happens. As Nicodemus said in John 3, he said, Teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for nobody could do these things except God were with him. They know this. The evidence is staring them in the face, and yet they say no. When someone steadfastly and repeatedly refuses to believe, God says, okay, now you can't believe. Now you cannot. And I will allow you to experience the full consequences of unbelief. That's a judgment from God. Pharaoh would harden his heart against Moses and finally God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that Moses and Pharaoh and all of Egypt could witness the consequences of unbelief. God's tried A, He's tried B, now he tries C. This is what's left, his judgment. Number two, when God blinds and hardens, he's not being cruel, he's being just. He's being just. God is not only giving you what you deserve, He's giving you what you want. His hardening is never an end in itself. God does not harden people in order to leave them there, He hardens them only to heal them. And I love these quotes from St. Augustine lowercase a, when God gives us grace to believe he acts mercifully when he withholds grace to harden us he acts righteously and God thus blinds and hardens simply by letting us alone and withdrawing his aid yeah and this is why we read in verse 36 that Jesus hides himself he hides himself He must hide himself in order to reveal himself in a new way. Jesus, the miracle worker, disappears. And he will reappear only as the crucified one. So, Roman numeral two. In contrast with the failure of the signs, now we see the success of the cross. Letter A unbelief will not have the final word. It will not have the final word. God will use Israel's unbelief to create a worldwide movement of faith. And it's already foreshadowed in the Gospel reading for today when the whole world goes out after him. This this foreshadows the conversion of the Gentiles. And letter B... God hardens and blinds Israel. Why? To fulfill Scripture. He hardens them to fulfill the Scriptures that Isaiah had had spoken, verses 39 and 40. And this is God's way of creating faith faith rests upon the fulfillment of Scripture. If the signs aren't doing it, if they're not getting the job done, then maybe the fulfillment of Scripture will. Sometimes only the hell of hardening can lead to the heaven of healing. Point number one, quoting our Lord from verse 32, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That is, the cross will accomplish what the signs could not. The cross will create faith. And and indeed, we see this after the death of our Lord, after the resurrection of our Lord, what happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter is preaching to a multitude of people in Jerusalem, and 3,000 believe and are baptized in a single day. That's quite a change. Jesus could attract crowds when he performed miracles, but he knew the crowds. He knew what was in man. He would not entrust himself to that. But this is different now on the day of Pentecost. Now we have the response of faith. Number two, the cross reveals Christ's ultimate oneness with the Father. If the signs, if the miracles testify to his oneness with the Father, he's doing things only God can do, right? Then the cross does so even more. What does he pray in the garden? Not my will, but thine be done. That's the ultimate oneness with the Father. This is the Father's will, the cross. And Jesus is at one with the Father, even in that, even in that. Let her see. Had Israel accepted the gospel, it's hard to see how it would have gone out to all nations. But when Israel rejected it, the scripture was fulfilled, and it became, the gospel became a worldwide religion. A worldwide religion. Israel's rejection of the Messiah was not a good thing But God knows how to make a bad thing good. He knows how to bring good out of what's not good. And he does this all the time. Letter D. Jesus accomplishes more by dying than by remaining alive. He accomplishes more through his own weakness than through his strength. Jesus' miracles were evidence of his power and they produced little faith. It was only through the weakness of crucifixion that faith began to blossom in Israel and beyond. Jesus, the wonder worker, must go into hiding so that Jesus, the crucified one, can be revealed. So what does this mean for us? And I I cite 2 Corinthians chapter 12 there where, you know, Paul has this thorn in the flesh and he prays three times that God might take away his weakness, and how does God respond? You know, no, my grace is sufficient for you, and the grace includes the thorn, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Our, our weakness becomes the stage for God's witness to the world. I can remember uh, years ago, well, I broke my collarbone uh, doing, doing something stupid, you know, I Broke my collarbone, and um, I mean, my shoulder was caved in. And I remember laying in the emergency room, and the doctors and nurses would come in, and their jaws would drop when they saw me. And I thought, you know, this is my time to bear witness to Christ. That's why I'm here. You know, I, I don't want to be here, you know, I, I'm here because I did something stupid. Um, But I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to bear witness while I'm here. And that's what I tried to do. That's what I tried to do. So, my friends, don't be surprised when God gives you weakness in some way, shape, or form so that his witness might shine through your weakness. Jesus accomplished more by weakness than by strength. Jesus, the miracle worker, produced few converts Jesus, the crucified, produced many converts. That's why the miracle worker had to disappear so that the crucified one might be revealed. In Jesus' name, amen.